In 2018, the University of St Andrews acquired an archive of papers of the 20th century Tocqueville scholar Jacob Peter Mayer. It was my good fortune to be given the opportunity to examine these unpublished papers in depth. And in this presentation, I'm going to be talking about some of the discoveries I made among the papers and how they relate to certain events in Mayer's life. First, a few introductory remarks about Mayer. His full name was Jacob Peter Mayer, though he was known to his family and friends simply as Peter, and he was born in Frankenthal in southwest Germany in 1903. He married Lola Grusemann in Berlin in 1935, and they settled in England the following year. He's best known today, and indeed in his time, for being the editor-in-chief of the complete works of Alexis de Tocqueville, published by the French publisher Gallimard a role that he took up in the late 1940s and which he continued in until the early 1980s when he was about 80 years old. But before this, he led quite a colourful life in pre-war Nazi Germany and wartime England, which I'll get on to in a minute. The papers themselves, which came in 28 boxes of various sizes, consist mostly of what one would expect from a 20th century scholar of the pre-digital era. So there were many drafts of his essays and books, both handwritten and typed, numerous old newspapers, magazines and journals, many of which contained articles by Mayer or about him, and thousands upon thousands of letters from publishing companies, other scholars, politicians, even a few prime ministers. Now some of these letters are probably worth quite a bit of money. I found seven signed letters to Mayer from T.S. Eliot. Eliot was a director at Faber and Faber for many years, and they had published some of Mayer's books, and the two had become friends, or at least were on friendly terms. I also found two original letters written and signed by Tocqueville himself. One of them was written in 1849 to the French writer and theologian Martin Doisy, and it's basically informing him that an academy of which Tocqueville was a member had decided not to include his book in something. It's not really clear what exactly. The other letter, which is undated, was written to the French writer and politician N.A. Salvandi, who died in 1856. According to some notes that Mayer wrote on the envelope in which I found these letters, he bought them from a Parisian book and autograph dealer in 1953. Now, the Eliot and Tocqueville letters are probably the most valuable letters in the archive, at least in monetary terms, but there were many more of great interest. So I'm going to continue by talking about some of the events and activities of Mayer's life focusing particularly on the period up until the end of the Second World War, and that will also give me an opportunity to mention some more of his many correspondence. So in, in his mid-twenties, Mayer began working in the archives of the Social Democratic Party in Berlin, and it was here around 1929 that he discovered some what were thought to be unpublished writings of Marx that later became known as the Economic and Philosophic Manuscripts of 1844, these manuscripts were published in a two-volume edition of Marx's early writings, released in 1932, which were edited by Mayer as well as Siegfried Landschut. The publication of these early writings of Marx led Mayer to come into contact with a number of prominent socialists in Britain, the most prominent of whom was probably the anti-Nazi activist Adam von Trott, who was executed by the Nazis in 1944 for his role in the July 20 plot to assassinate Hitler. Mayer met Trott in the spring of 1933, and they became good friends for several years and exchanged many letters. 
I found two letters from Trott to Mayer in the archive. Through Trott, it seems that Mayer also made contact with a number of prominent British socialists. In 1934, at Trott's suggestion, Mayer travelled to England to attend a conference at All Souls College, Oxford, organised by the political theorist and prolific, if unsuccessful, detective novelist G.D.H. Cole. The following year, Mayer returned to England to attend a meeting at the house of the Labour politician Stafford Cripps. Again, I think it was Trott that had arranged this for Mayer. Among the attendees was Clement Attlee, who would, of course, later become Prime Minister. I found among the archive three letters from Attlee to Mayer and three or so from Cripps, as well as 20 or so from Cole. Now, Mayer was actually arrested by the Gestapo in 1935. It seems that he had lent some banned books to a friend of his, Julie Brown Vogelstein. But Vogelstein's servant was apparently working for the Gestapo and, and reported Mayer. Mayer, as well as his wife Lola, were apparently held by the Gestapo for 10 hours. Vogelstein herself emigrated to America around this time, settling in California, and later she became a well-known art historian. I came across dozens of letters from her to Mayer in the archive, spanning several decades. She would almost always sign off as Aunt Julie, which shows how close they were. It was perhaps the experience of being arrested that led Mayer to also decide to leave Germany permanently around this time. I think he left around the summer of 1936. He went ahead on his own and Lola and their son, Karl Peter, who was nine months old at the time, joined him shortly afterwards. Another friend and regular correspondent of Mayer was the historian and political thinker R.H. Tawney. It may again have been Trott who introduced Mayer to Tawney, since Trott had met Tawney for the first time in 1935 when he visited England, and the earliest dated letter from Tawney to Mayer is from March 1936. Mayer and Tawney kept up a correspondence for 25 years until Tawney's death. I found no less than 80 letters and postcards from Tawney, including one he wrote five months before he died. Just to give a brief Mayer-Tawney anecdote, in 1955, Tawney was struggling financially and a lot of his friends, including Mayer, were worried about him. Mayer actually wrote to Owen Morshead, who was the royal librarian at Windsor Castle and who Mayer had been in touch with for a number of years, asking him if it was possible for Morshead to approach the Queen about getting Tawney in order of merit and letting him have one of the Grace cottages at Windsor. In his reply, Morshead expressed his sympathy for Tawney, but said he wouldn't be able to help. Now, in 1943, Mayer secured a one-year research post at the London School of Economics to conduct research into British political parties from a sociological perspective. He was required to teach fortnightly seminars within the Department of Government, which at the time was headed by Howard Lasky, though, in fact, Mayer had already known Lasky for several years. I found 18 letters to Mayer from Lasky, dated from 1937 to 1949, just a year before Lasky's death. In the last letter that Lasky wrote to Mayer, he speaks of being, quote, pretty ill for the last few months, unquote, but also of his expectation that he would be able to rehire Mayer as a teacher at the LSE the following year. But in fact, Lasky died in March of, of, that, uh, of the following year. In early 1941, Mayer also began working for the wartime government, specifically the Ministry of Economic Warfare. He was an employee of a propaganda unit led by Leonard Ingrams, who had been a banker before the war and was actually the father of Richard Ingrams of Private Eye fame. 
and this unit was producing radio broadcasts to transmit to the German population, and it was Mayer's job to assess the merits of these propaganda pieces before they were broadcast and write reports on them. But at some point during 1941, he became disillusioned by the highly anti-German approach to propaganda, an approach that he felt was too influenced by the diplomat Sir Robert Van Sittert. Mayer had actually worked for Van Sittert early on, earlier on in the war. Now, Mayer by this time knew William Temple, the Archbishop of York. I found several letters from Temple to Mayer in the archive. And it seems that Mayer wrote to Temple asking if he would help him secure a meeting with Churchill so that he could pass on his views about the flaws in the propaganda approach to the Prime Minister. Temple did indeed write to Churchill about this. And although Churchill did not respond to Mayer directly, he did get his personal assistant, Major Desmond Morton, to write to Mayer and to meet with him. I found several letters from Morton among Mayer's papers, including one dated December 1941, which he begins by saying, The Archbishop of York has written to the Prime Minister to say that you are very anxious to tell him your views about our propaganda to Germany. Morton eventually referred Mayer to R.H. Bruce Lockhart, who was the head of the government body that was in charge of dis disseminating propaganda. And Mayer met with him too and produced a memo for him detailing his suggestions for how the propaganda to Germany could be improved. It doesn't seem that much came of this in the end. By May 1942, Mayer felt it necessary to also write to Stafford Cripps about the matter, evidently seeking a meeting with him. But Cripps blew him off getting his secretary to tell Mayer that Cripps was too busy to meet him and that in any case he didn't think he could help him and that his best course of action was to stay in touch with Morton and Bruce Lockhart. Of course, Mayer seemed to think the work he did for the government during the war was very important, and perhaps it was. It's not clear the extent to which his suggestions were taken on, but he certainly had the opportunity to pass on his thoughts to high-ranking members of the wartime government, including Morton and Bruce Lockhart. He may also have been involved in other activities that are not referred to amongst his papers. Towards the end of his life, he made an inter interesting comment on his wartime government work in a letter he wrote in 1982 to the sociologist David Reisman, author of The Lonely Crowd. He said, I wish I could tell you how I learnt the living background of sociology, but that would necessitate an autobiography. Yet I am quite sure I will never write one because I always had the feeling that to mention archbishops, prime ministers and ministers with whom you were closely connected in work was wrong and should remain private. My pre-wartime activities, and particularly those during the war, however objectively important they may have been, are in many respects secret and should remain so. I was always impressed by an angel which they discovered under the roof in Chartres when no one had ever seen him before the 20th century. No doubt the sculptor expressed his intense veneration not for a public, but to satisfy his own creative desire. So I'll bring this talk to a close, though before I do, I will just briefly give a list of other well-known correspondents of Mayer, whose letters I found in the archive. Karl Mannheim, Julian Huxley, Isaiah Berlin, F.R. Hayek, Leonard Wolf, Louis Namia, Indira Gandhi, Jean de Tocqueville, who was the Tocqueville's grandnephew, and who sent a couple of hundred letters to Mayer over the years, as well as the writer and filmmaker Jean Cocteau.